If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 46. And we finally made it halfway through the Gospel of John after one whole year. (laughs) But today we've made it uh, to John's final sign also of his seven signs pointing towards the resurrection, that great final sign. And it's probably become a bit redundant at times going through this gospel because the story is almost exactly the same on each and every one of these signs. This is basically what happens, and this will sound very familiar to you. So basically, a problem exists, and everyone around sees the problem, including Jesus. Then Jesus resolves it in a surprising way, usually a miracle, And that evokes one of two responses, which is either belief in him or the desire to kill him. It's almost always that. That's the basic story of all of these seven signs in John's gospel. And this final sign is no different than uh, the others, so I'm not going to spend much time harping on that point because I've kind of already beat that horse dead. Uh, But by now, you know John writes this gospel so that you might believe. That's, that's the main point, so that you will believe. It's kind of, his, his signs are kind of a catalyst to cause us to either believe or reject him. So today I want to press forward and ask ourselves, what is it, though, that Jesus wants us to believe about him? What is it that we are supposed to believe? Not just him, but what is it that we believe? Jesus will say in our text today that an illness that his friend has, and I quote, it says, is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, So we're going to look at that question today. What is it exactly that this glory that's being revealed, what is it that God is doing through this? We're going to answer that question today. That, that's kind of going to kind of be the, the, the force of this text, understanding how God can be glorified even through hardship and suffering. So our text is John 11, verses 1 through 46. And I don't normally like to do this, but today I'm actually going to interrupt uh, the scripture um, at a point that becomes kind of confusing if you if you don't read it right. Every time I've read this before up until like the last couple of weeks that I've been preparing, this one sentence has made absolutely no sense to me. So I'm just going to kind of address it right then and there so you don't get hung up and miss everything after that because that's what I intended to do before. Uh, uh, Thomas will say something and it's going to catch you off guard if you don't understand what he's saying. So. This is the word of God, John 11, 1 through 46. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God... So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was meant taking rest and sleep. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Now let me just stop there, because every time that I'd read this up until a couple weeks ago, I thought that he was talking about die with him, referring to Lazarus. That's not what he's actually talking about. John kind of writes this in a, in a confusing way. God's backed it by the inspiration of his Holy Spirit. So we have it here today. We just need to make sense of it. When he says, let us go also that we may die with him, he's talking about Jesus going into Judea. Because uh, they just said, well, you just went there and you were about to get stoned. Are we going to go there too? And Thomas says, well, if you're going there, we're going to go with you, even if it means our death. So I just wanted to clear, clarify that for you because I'd always read it uh, by Thomas saying, let us go die with Lazarus. And I was like, what is he talking about? Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. <clears throat> and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been in there four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
the word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we come again to your holy gospel, we ask that you would speak to us anew. As we've already said, sometimes the signs can become a bit redundant, but Lord, I pray that you would speak afresh to us today. I pray that the same Holy Spirit that has inspired these words to come to us down through the ages would now touch our hearts. I pray that you would open them, help them, help us to be able to receive your word for us today that is living and active. I pray that it would pierce our soul, even down to the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit, Lord. Speak to us, speak to our hearts, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you read this text, you get the sense that everyone in this story is basically basically saying this could have been avoided. This could have been kept from happening. It's repeatedly mentioned that if Jesus would have been there, Lazarus would not have died. Martha said it in verse 21. Mary said it in verse 32. The Jews said it in verse 36, and even his disciples must have been thinking it because in verse 15, Jesus says, For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. It's a bit startling, isn't it? You, you look at this and Jesus says, I was glad that I was not there. And you read that at first and it's like, that's a little cold, isn't it, Jesus? These people, they're hurting. Their friend's sick. Their friend, he, he died. And you're still saying that... You were glad that you weren't there. At first, it seems like Jesus is just being cold to his friends, but this is actually far from the truth. It's actually the complete opposite. This chapter shows us the exact opposite when we actually look at the heart of Jesus and his actions. So Jesus says he was glad that he wasn't there, that you may believe. So what is he actually getting at? What is it that they are supposed to believe? Right, so all through this gospel, we're saying, that's so that you might believe, I do these things. But today I want to ask, believe what? What is it that we are going to believe about you, Jesus? Because they already believed that he could heal, right? That, that's why they wished that he would have been there, right? Jesus, we wish you would have been here. You're a healer. You could have kept this from happening. So what is it that Jesus wants them to go further to believe? And that is that he gives life to the dead. He is a life giver. Jesus doesn't just help those in need. He does this. Absolutely, he does this. But he gives life to those who are completely dead to show his glory. It's a greater glory. And this is Jesus alluding to the spiritual life that he gives. As we've seen in John's gospel so far, there's, uh, there's oftentimes a, a literal meaning that we can see, how Jesus will literally do something. And then there's a spiritual sense that's, that's kind of a sub-meaning that we're supposed to get to. And this is one of those here, where he gives life to a physically dead person uh, to, to make them physically alive. But the meaning that we're supposed to get is that he also gives spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Now, we know uh, this, that this is his point, because Martha thinks that he's talking about the general resurrection here. But he actually corrects her and says, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you would read with me verse 21 through 25, I want you to catch that he's not just talking about the resurrection. He's talking about something more. Verses 21 says this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. So there's the complaint. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So there's her affirming that in the very end, the final resurrection, we believe that. Yes, we get that, God. Or yes, we get that, Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is saying that those in relationship with him will have a life that is different, a life that is abundant, and they will have that now. And this is the the point that Jesus really wants us to take home today, that we can have it now. The coming of Jesus brings a truly transformed life in the present, not just the future, not just the resurrection that's going to come on the last day. So, yes, he does bring Lazarus back from the dead physically, but his point actually isn't the resurrection on the last day. Why? Because Lazarus physically died again. So this wasn't the final resurrection that he's talking about because Lazarus, he wasn't taken up into heaven or anything spectacular. He wasn't like Enoch who walked with God and was not. He wasn't like the prophets who were taken up in a a chariot or anything like that. Lazarus died again even after Jesus raised him from the dead because this wasn't talking about the second resurrection. It was talking about the first resurrection, the same resurrection that Jesus spoke about back in John 5. You may remember this sermon where I pointed this out where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, present, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Okay, so this is what Jesus is getting at. So so, so once Lazarus was raised from the dead physically, he was given spiritual life and believed, and so were the onlookers. They, They believed in this greater glory that Jesus was doing. He was given eternal life. And the onlookers also were given eternal life. And this is why Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. It starts now. You can meet Jesus today and experience this life abundant where you're spiritually brought alive to see the beauty and the glory of God. If anyone believes in me, he says, though he die like Lazarus, yet he shall live. Okay. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That that life that Jesus gives you can't be taken away. So he's not undercutting the final resurrection. It it can seem like that when he's talking to Martha, when he says, yeah, I am the resurrection. But he's not undercutting. He's actually adding to it to help her realize that Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait to have this life and life abundantly in me. It's here and it starts now. That's the glory that he's revealing. So Jesus asks Martha if she believes this. So he tells her that. So she, he's saying, do you believe this, though? I'm telling you this fact. Are you going to experience it? Are you going to believe it? And church, I want to ask you also, do you believe this? Do you believe that encountering Jesus really brings a change now? Or is it just all in the future? Are you just waiting for the resurrection then? Is there an implication for now? Do you believe that when Jesus came to be with us, that this was truly a pivotal moment in history? The incarnation of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas, it it gifted humanity with a dimension of God that we could have never seen before. When Jesus came in the flesh to be among us, to dwell with us, God with us, Emmanuel, that was extremely significant. 
It was one thing to hear in the Old Testament that God loved you, right? It's one thing for God to say that I care for you in the Old Testament. You could hear it, and, and he did some acts that it, it led them to believe God does love us, that he is for us. But it's quite another to see God in the flesh deeply moved. Deeply moved in his spirit. The King James says that he groaned in his spirit when he's looking at his friends who are suffering. That made a difference. That truly made a difference in all of the world. When Jesus looks at his friends and he cries. He weeps. Verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. Just two simple words. And I think it speaks longer than the longest verse ever could. Jesus wept. The implications are massive. That tears ran down the face of God when he looked at his friends who were suffering. And it wasn't because he was weak. It wasn't that at all. It was because love is deeply moved at the sight of seeing death, pain, and suffering hovering over his friends and family, those whom he loved. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved his friend Lazarus. And when he saw them and their pain, and even the Jews and their pain, it moved him in his spirit. Church, this is the God we worship. It's not a cold, stoic God who desires to kind of suppress the emotions. We don't cry. Straight face. We don't smile. That's not the God we worship. That's not. This was a God who cried. A God who showed his love for us by sending his own son to die for us so that we might see God loves us through deep sympathy and sacrifice even unto death. Jesus literally loves us to death. Now, when you say this, it's amazing, but it's true that there will be objections. Some people will just say, no, I don't, I don't think so. Someone might even say the same thing about Jesus' death that those in the story said. Okay, I see what you're saying there, but God, if you were here with us, then the whole thing could have been avoided. right? If you would have just been with us, with humanity, then we wouldn't be in this in the first place. right? You can hear that objection, can't you? People would say this. But the scripture tells us God shows us his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God had a plan that actually included coming to us in our sin. Right? It was better somehow for God to come in that way. In other words, the incarnation was the surprising but yet glorious display of God's love through death. It's perplexing, isn't it? When we think about how God loves us through death and sacrifice so that we might believe. It took him literally loving us to death so that we might be compelled and controlled by the love of Christ to come to his side, to come to our senses and see how much he actually does love us. That's the incarnation. That's what God was doing there. So when God loved us through death, it wasn't instead of death. Think about that. He could have done it through death, but it was better, or he could have done it instead of death, but it was better that he did it through death. Because Jesus, though he wept, did not back down, Jesus claims victory over death. He wins. And in this way, he shows himself even more glorious. He didn't just prevent death. He allowed us in our free will to experience its horror, then conquer it through experiencing it himself. 
He went through our horror when he didn't even have to. He allowed us to walk straight into sin. We wanted to do it, and he said, I'll let you do it, and I'm going to show you how bad it is and how glorious it is when I bring you back. When I show you that that's not really what you want. You thought you wanted that, but I'm going to show you what's better. I'm going to show you a more glorious way. So for the man saying to God, if you were here, this would not have happened to humanity. God says, perhaps not, but it was more glorious that I allow you to know me, not just as your helper, but as your savior. It's better. It's better to see God as your savior. So let's now address Jesus's words that can kind of seem a little bit cold when he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Right? Because that's Almost how you can read that. Well, I'm glad I wasn't there, that it worked out this way. This is why Jesus was glad that he was not there when Lazarus was sick, because he loved them too much to allow them to have a small glimpse of his glory. He said, I have a bigger plan for you. I'm glad I wasn't there because I'm going to give you something better. Notice it says in verse 15, for your sake, I was glad. And this is what we often miss. We just hear this kind of cold response. I'm glad I wasn't here. But he's saying, no, I was glad for your sake. I'm doing this for you. It's not that I'm getting my way. I'm doing it for your sake. Jesus wasn't glad because he was getting his way. Jesus was glad because he was actually looking out for the sake of his friends that they might see a glimpse of him that they could never have seen before. They wouldn't have got to see Jesus cry if Lazarus hadn't died. Now, I want you to read verse 5 with me. Verse 5 says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now did you catch that? It says in verse 5 that Jesus loved them. So some of you might be reading a translation that actually says therefore. right? And you know in the Bible when you read a therefore you say what? What is it there for, right? It's there because Jesus is saying, I loved you, therefore, or so, when he heard the news, he stayed two days longer. Did you catch it? Because Jesus loved them, he stayed two days longer so that he would not be there when Lazarus was sick, but that he would get there after Lazarus died because he loved him. It was his greater will that Lazarus should pass and the glory of God would shine through this because they would see that God doesn't just help those who are spiritually sick. God gives life to the dead. Dead people. He brings back from the dead. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive in Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's not of works. He's not just helping us along the way saying, you've had this the whole time. All I need to do is pat you on the back. I came in the incarnation just to come and cheer you on and say, you've got this. No, that is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us. He isn't our great cheerleader. He is our great savior. Lazarus was cold and dead. And as the King James said, he stinketh. (laughs) He was very dead. Now let me ask you, church, how do you suppose that he heard Jesus call his name? How did a dead man hear someone call his name? Jesus gave him life. 
Jesus gave him physical life. Okay, there's, there's the literal thing of what happened. As I said, John often has this kind of sub-meaning for us to catch too. So let me ask you, how do you suppose that you heard the shepherd's voice when he called you a sheep by name? How did you hear that? Because you were dead. God gave you life. You believe because God gave you life. And this is what John really wants you to see here. That Jesus gives us something that we could not get on our own. He gives us life. You see, when you are cold and dead and have the stench of sin wrapped around you like Lazarus was wrapped in his, uh, in his uh, tomb, Jesus has the power to bring you alive so that you can hear his voice calling your name to follow him who is the resurrection and the life. It's an amazing thing. That's the power of the gospel. That is what Jesus does to sinners like you and me. He calls people who are dead in the tomb alive. And he calls them by name. And somehow they hear it. They come alive and they're given the power of the gospel to go and live holy lives. It's amazing. It is really amazing. And this is Jesus' point here. Not just that sometimes he picks a friend uh, to bring back to life to say, wow, he's really powerful. No, it's, it's, it's more than that. It is that. You have seen the miraculous even in your own lives, I'm sure. But there's a deeper meaning too. And the deeper meaning is that though you die, you shall live. And that living is that spiritual life that Jesus comes to bring. So church, this is the whole point of this message. Yes, on a grand level, the sign is given so that we might believe. But believe what? What is it that we are believing? It's that Jesus came to give us life in a way that not only did we not expect or see coming, but it was even better than we could ever have imagined. It's life and life abundant. He is the resurrection and the life now. Jesus says, yes, you're from the, re- the, the resurrection, right? Uh, you got your theology right. Good job, Martha. But there's more, right? There is more. There's lots of people that affirm that there's a general re- resurrection. You do well to do this, but through death, I will show you a more glor- glorious way. And my death, even. Because that's what it eventually came to. I was glad that you had a taste of death because now you know how sweet it is that I'm overcoming it. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the glory. Now, I'm sure some of you have probably felt like Martha and Mary at times. In your prayers, you may have prayed something like this. God, if you would have done this, that things might have turned out differently. Have you ever thought that before? you ever in your prayers kind of let that roll around your mind? You know, I had this picture in my mind, God, and I, I, I imagined it playing out this way, and it didn't. And I don't really see why. And you know what? It might have actually played out different if God had done it a different way. But it doesn't mean that it would have turned out better, does it? We often forget that. We often forget the truth that God loves us so much that he works all things together for our good. Right? That's what the scripture says. And those who are called according to his purpose. He has a plan for your life. Thank God it's not your plan. He has a plan that is good for you that might not make sense in the moment. So when Jesus says that he was glad that things turned out the way it did, we shouldn't be hurt by this and only see that things didn't go the way that we wanted. Because that's what we're tempted to do. That's, that's our sin there. That's our problem. We don't need to do this. We need to look straight at Jesus and see, Jesus, you know what? You actually did have a plan in all this, and I, I can see it in the way that you're acting even. You're deeply moved. I, I'm moved by you, Jesus. We should see that he has a greater purpose in all of, it, all of it that doesn't even overlook our sorrow. He even weeps at our sorrow. He cries. He's deeply moved. 
But thanks be to God that he thinks clearer than we do in the midst of our suffering. That's when our minds are all jumbled up. And he does this so that we might later look back and say, that was hard. That was really hard, actually. Maybe the, the hardest thing I've ever went through. But you know what? I agree with Jesus. I am glad that he worked it all out according to his good and not what I wanted. So that's our hope today, church, that we can look at Jesus, see his gladness on his face, that he's actually got a plan, that he knows what he's doing with our life, and we can partner with his gladness and say, oh wait, you're glad for my sake. So we can be glad with Jesus that he's doing things that might not make sense to us in the moment, but he's got a great and a good purpose for you. And it's to glorify his son and for you to have gladness on your own face as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to look to Jesus today at his gladness, at his smile, and his weeping, and to be deeply moved in our own spirits. To be changed by him, to be more like him. Lord, let us see uh, how he works things for the good. Lord, your word says that it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. So Lord, I pray that today, as some of us are probably wrestling with how things work out in our lives, I pray that we would remember that it's actually your glory to not show us the whole plan up front, but to hold our hand along the way. That even through death sometimes, you show us a more glorious way. Help us to see that clearly. Lord, we repent of our sins, of where we have been stubborn and thinking that we know better than you do where we have thought that our purpose were better, that if you had done things our way, that it would have turned out differently. And Lord, it may have, but it wouldn't have been as good. So Lord, we repent of that. We trust in you. We believe that you give spiritual life to us, and it's a life that's abundant. And We might not be able to see it exactly in the present, clouded by sin, but Lord, help us to see more clearly each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.